embedded correspondent John Solberg, and you are listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Start the game! Let's go! We'll do it live. Okay. Well, do it live! I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live! So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike the match, and... Oh. Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. Fourth of July, and welcome to the really big barbecue central show. If you didn't know it, this is the show that talks about all things that are important in the world of barbecue and grilling. The show originating from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame City, Bomb City, USA, Cleveland, Ohio, the barbecue capital of the North Coast. I am your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday evening's live fire fun and frivolity show. If you want to get in contact with the show this evening, if you want to follow the show socially, here's how you do all of that. You can get in touch with the show by sending an email to Greg at the BBQCentralShow.com. Follow us on all the social media channels at BBQ Central Show. And be sure to subscribe to the show podcast feed on your favorite podcast platform. Anything else you want to find out about the show can be found at the main website, the BBQCentralShow.com. And here's what's happening in case you can get the newsletter coming up in about 13 minutes from now. He is a multiple-time cookbook author. He is a barbecue TV competitor, a barbecue TV competition judge. He has judged many of the world-famous barbecue competitions that you know. The list goes on and on. Barbecue Hall of Famer, Barbecue Central Show's guest Hall of Famer, Dr. Barbecue Ray Lampy rejoins the show. Last time Ray was on, as you might recall, we were going at it with who had the better $200 pepper grinder. I think I won. Ray thinks he won. And we agreed to leave it there. We agree to disagree. We both agree that whichever one you thought was better, they were both going to be costing you $200, whether you like it or not. That is what we can 100% agree on. You like the black rain you like the pepper cannon either or this one's two hundred dollars that one's two hundred dollars so there was no budget brand of pepper grinder that we were dealing with that can't come up with a word here this evening so ray lampy will be joining us uh he's got rubs out he is going to be on tv he has thoughts on a bunch of other things that are going on in the industry Maybe you follow him socially. So I'm put out a post about him and I'm paraphrasing. He's open and looking for work. What does that mean? Why do you make that post? Do you get any benefit from doing that? Plenty to talk about. So that'll be Ray Lampy first hour, actually. And then we'll move to the second hour because it is the first Tuesday 
of a month in the second hour. You know who we're visiting. Sam, the cooking guy. Even though it is the 4th of July. By the way, this is not pre-recorded. This is actually happening live and local late breaking. A real live show on a holiday. We've done it before. We'll do it again. I'm not a fireworks guy per se, so I don't care that I'll be missing out on all of them. And if you are, uh, listen to the first hour of the show and then go ahead and gallivant all across the counties that you live in to go find your local fireworks displays. And then come back and catch the last 30 minutes of the show because I think fireworks last like 20 minutes. But I'm happy to have you whatever it looks like. So Sam is in for one segment, and then he's got fireworks to go watch. And after Sam, 35 past second hour, we have another open segment, which is great because I have at least a crap load of things to get to. So that's how the show is laying out. Dr. Barbecue first hour and Sam the cooking guy in the second hour. And your emails and social media reactions to me as I can fit them in. You can follow me socially Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Snapchat at BBQ Central Show. We say good evening to those of you watching through one of our video streaming platforms. You can go to Facebook or Twitch slash BBQ Central Show. You can also watch on YouTube as well, which is YouTube.com slash at BBQ Central Show. And yes, we do have a new YouTube poll question of the week, and here it is. I'm asking you this evening. 20 years from now, in 2043... Lab-grown meat will be how the majority of meat is produced in the world. 86% of you are saying nope. I think that's a little short-sighted, 86% of you. I thought maybe we would see a closer to 50-50 split here at the rip. However, as we do each and every show here over the last however long we've been running YouTube poll question of the week... We'll ask both the guests here this evening, and we'll see how this poll ends up at the end of the second hour. By the way, uh, I forget what the poll question of the week was last week. Was it the, did you know Byron Chisholm? I think it was, and maybe it wasn't. It didn't break any closer to 50-50. I was hoping it would have been, you know, 80-90% of the folks did, but it was closer than I liked, but that's how it ended up last week. So that's the question tonight. Over the next 20 years, lab-grown meat, or I'm sorry, 20 years from now, lab-grown meat will be the majority of meat that is produced in the world. I'm going with yes. That's how the majority of it is going to be. Remember, 20 years from now, can you imagine a 68-year-old Greg Rempe from Bomb City, USA? Welcome to Bomb City, USA. Happy 4th! I broke my hip later in the week. Oh, no. Please, no. <laughs> 20 years from now, the 68-year-old host will be jumping on the internet airwaves. Maybe. I want to start here this evening, uh, and I want to thank Annie and, of course, show favorite, cult show favorite neighbor Desmond for having us over for 4th of July this afternoon. The Associated Eating Affair, and if I might say, holy crap, that was a lot of food. I made a pork butt all on my own, and it was like a 12-pound pork butt, so that can feed, I mean, if you're not eating like a complete fat ass, I can feed 15 to 20 people. And then when we got there, I thought there was going to be 
50 people with all the amount of food that was sitting out there? And Andy said, no, it's just us. Maybe I thought some of the boyfriends were coming. I didn't even have my whole family. There was so much food. And then the eating began and continued and it continued. And then Desmond made ribs and wings. I made pork butt. Holy crap, there was a lot of pork. None of the basics, all high-level stuff here for us experts of the live fire industry and celebrities of the internet. But gosh, that was a lot of food. Had to take a quick nap when I got home so I could be fresh and ready for Dr. Barbecue and for Sam the Cooking Guy. So thank you to Annie and Desmond for having us over. Now, to the delight of many, a new cat piss story shooting up last week has really hit the spot. Now, I must say, a few skeptical fans have asked if this is something that I might be making up and then dropping it into the mix just for fun and comedy. And of course, the simple answer to that is no. I might lie about a lot of things. Mostly everything. I am not going to lie about cats pissing in my house. First of all, that's gross. And it's nothing to joke about. This is a real-life matter, and it's coming to a head this Friday. As we know, 8.30 this Friday, we have a vet appointment. We don't know if that fat cat is even going to make it to the vet alive, but if it does, it could be life or death for the cat. I will continue with every fiber of my being, as I hope you do, to wish for cat death along with me. So please send me your morbidly positive death thoughts over the week so we can drop from four cats to three cats leading into the weekend. That would be great. What a great send-off for me, dropping from four to three. Come on, gang. Let's see if we can't pull this off together. What do you say? Let's all think positively morbid thoughts and then push them to Bomb City, USA so we can get rid of one of these cats. And by the way, You should find it particularly offensive at this cat because he tried to single-handedly take the show off the internet with his indiscriminate pissing on all sorts of high-level electronics that help me connect into the internet. Remember, if I don't have A, the internet, there's no show, and B, if I don't have the stuff to connect onto the internet to then produce a show, there's no show. So this cat needs to... Head for the hills, if you know what I mean. And by that, I mean cat heaven. You think there's cat heaven? Or is that what you call the backyard? <laughs> I'm not taking that thing home. If that thing doesn't make it back with me on Friday, the vet's keeping it and do whatever you do with it. I don't want it. Well, Dr. Barbecue is ready to go. I can tell you that. He's ready to give me a rousing two segments here on the 4th of July. If you're just joining us, welcome in. Happy birthday, America. Back-to-back World War champions. How about that? Are you tired of settling for mediocre grilling experiences? Did you learn that today? Did you say, you know what? This was a great day. The weather where we were at was great. But in the end, my live fire experience was mediocre at best. Well, let's step up the barbecue and grilling game and bring the ultimate flavor and the ultimate cooker to your backyard starting tomorrow. Pick up the phone, hit the internet, go over to Pits and Spits, and tell them you are ready for the charcoal grill that's going to change your life. Highest quality materials, we know this. Live fire cooking experience. 
It's the best that you can get in the market today. Using either wood or charcoal, these solid fuel grills produce those classic flavors that you're looking for. When the time has come to fire up the grill and cook for family and friends, like today. By the way, it sucks that July 4th is Tuesday, middle of the week. Hey, with a large adjustable fuel tray, you can raise and lower the fire to control and fine-tune the heat temps. It's kind of their take on the very popular Santa Maria-style grill, except there's a hood and looks super nice. You know, they use all that shiny stainless down there in pits and spits. And the best part, in five years from now, you're not casting it aside and trying to figure out how much more you're going to be spending on a new one. No, no. This one will last your life, and it will also last your kid's life, or if you gift it to somebody else, it will last their life. All of a sudden, not only have you taken advantage of a great piece, it has become an heirloom piece that's going to be in your family for generations and generations. So you go to pitsandspits.com slash bbqcentral, and then use promo code charcoalcentral, all one word, charcoalcentral, for 150 bucks off any charcoal grill that they sell. Easy enough. Pitsandspits.com, that's double T on the pits and the spits. That's pitsandspits.com slash bbqcentral, and then code charcoalcentral. Save 150 bucks off a Pits and Spits charcoal cooker and tell them the Barbecue Central Show sent you if you're calling it. We're back with Ray Lampy right after this. Stick around. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Broadcasting live from the Barbecue Central Show studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. Hey, welcome back. This portion of the show is being brought to you by CookinPellets.com, your number one source for quality hardwood pellets for all your pellet-driven cookers. Visit CookinPellets.com to decide the flavor or mix that you want, and then go to Amazon.com or Lowe's.com or Walmart.com for great shipping rates, along with the great pricing. It's the great folks over at CookinPellets.com. My first guest tonight and second guest tonight... Appearing on the show since 2006, if you can believe it. As I mentioned in the open, an accomplished book author, appears on TV shows as both competitor and judge, a pitchman and a brand ambassador, barbecue hall of famer, and most importantly than all of that, barbecue central shows guest hall of famer. We welcome back Dr. Barbecue Ray Lampy. We have a YouTube poll question of the week, Ray, that I want to get your opinion on or get your answer and see where you weigh in on this. I'm asking folks this week, 20 years from now, lab-grown meat will be how the majority of meat is produced in this world, yes or no? I, I'm going to go no. no I, I, right? I, but I think, you know, we got a lot about that i don't think it's a uh short-term thing i think it's you know i don't think we should goof about it i, I think it's potentially a real thing uh but will it ever be you know actual animals i, I don't know that's a long way off 89 percent of the youtube voting public are agreeing with ray lampy right now with no 
And I have taken the opposite opinion on that. I've said, look, 20 years from now, your spry, handsome, humble host will be 68 years old. I can't imagine I'll be doing the show at 68, but you never know. That's a long time from now. 20 years ago, I was 28. A lot of things have happened in 20 years, and that could happen in 20 years. In fact, so much so that the more... So I did a story last week about this cellularly cultivated chicken that uh, just last week was introduced into a restaurant right here in the United States. I don't know if you saw the article. I think I posted about it on my Facebook fan page. But some high-level chef brought it in, is very keen on sustainability and the environment and harm to animals and all this other stuff. And then, like, uh, the next day, there was something about a... A company called Stakeholder, ironic name, of course, and they are making cellularly cultivated beef. And they're 3D printing this beef. I read a whole article about Netanyahu is out there in uh, Israel watching this whole thing take place. He eats it, says it's great. I mean, I'm sure it's a photo op like anything else. However, I've reached out to these folks and we're trying to put together a segment here on this show to talk about it. I think if we're this far advanced into getting cells look i'm as dumb as they come right so i don't know exactly how this works but i imagine in my simple mind i'm sticking a needle into a live animal of some sort extracting cells of some sort and then people way smarter than me are able to grow that not as necessarily a cut as we have become accustomed to aesthetically, but it's the meat, it's the protein, and then they shape it through a dye or however the hell they're doing it. And for all intent, this isn't beyond meat or impossible burger or whatever the hell you're talking about. This is real ass meat, not fake. And with all the other stuff, I mean, electric electric cars on the road and cultivated meat and better environment, this is a this is a press that has been happening. I don't think it's going away. And in 20 years, I think we could be seeing the majority of meat being produced in, in labs or, or being cultivated. Sorry for the long wind. I, I'm sorry. No, it, it's, it's an interesting point of view. I'm stuck on the exceeding meat. Will it be 40% of the market? Will it, you know what I mean? I, I don't know. I think it's coming. And, and we got to be realistic about this kind of stuff. We're not, you know, we're not going to be able to feed everybody on earth with our traditional ways of doing it. And, and we need to look at things like this. We really do. And, and I think it'll succeed, but will it surpass live animal meat you know within 20 years that that's a big lift because it's probably not going to be in the, we're not going to see it at the supermarket for at least five years and maybe 10 you know how these things are they they it, they talk about it long before it's actually viable so so i think that's where i'm i'm a stickler on is it going to surpass it and now if you you know is it going to surpass it someday probably i would i would agree with that but you know the thing that i think about is uh is aquaculture like fish farms are becoming such a big deal and it's really important because we're obviously raping the ocean so there's not going to be any fish left so i you know and we're building condos everywhere certainly in my neighborhood so there's not going to be enough room for cows and pigs either i believe a portion of what the stakeholder company and i'm going to talk more about it in the second hour is doing is uh cellularly cultivating fish as well 
they were covering all the the major proteins, the beef, the chicken, and the the fish, and it's it's happening. So uh, now to live in hypocrisy, which is the city I live in here, I'm wondering how does this then affect or what lobbies will then rise up and go, hey, this all sounds great, but my friends, the cattle ranchers, or my friends, the chicken farmers, or fishermen, or fisheries, or whatever the hell you call them, you do this, these these guys are going to be out of a job. This is all they've ever known. It's generations of business. What are we going to do with what they have? And I don't know how I feel about that, because certainly I don't want to take work or a generational farm or a way of living away from anybody but as you said for a society and i'm only looking at it from the united states because of myopic we are we consume like crazy with blatant disregard for how it's actually going to affect long term the effects are going to be felt way after i'm gone so you know i i talk about it but i'm not feeling it but two three four generations down the road they could be really feeling it and maybe this is something yeah, that sure. really helps turn the turn the turn the turn the the tables the other way. Well, one of the things that's going to have to happen, it's until it can be at least competitively priced, which is probably a long way off. Right, right. It's not going to be viable. I, I, you know, one thing. I matter of fact, I got a pound in my freezer. I just looked at bison. I really like bison. It's fun to cook Delicious. with. It's just kind of like a cow. Really, it's not that different. It's a little richer. But until bison gets kind of the same price as ground beef, nobody's going to take it seriously. It becomes. It remains that novelty. So it. it they're going to have to get competitively priced and my guess is that's a long way off well that was going to be my last statement was if i can land these folks for an interview the boilerplate question is all this makes me feel great and maybe you say you can get it to market inside of that 20 years that we're talking about here this evening but if steak now goes to 70 dollars a pound for you know whatever the the choice grade comparable meat is going to be and as you say, it's not going to fly anywhere. It's just going to be something that you can say you attempted. And until you can get it to commodities prices or generate it in commodities product and style, then this is going to be something that people talk about. Uh, I remember when, but maybe it never comes to fruition. So lots to talk about and, and to follow on that topic. I wanted to get your take or recap on the most recent barbecue hall of fame class 2023's class has been in and uh, of course we know that uh, darren worth is in by uh byron chisholm is in he was on the show for the first time a couple weeks ago uh floor oh yeah how is that it was um it, so i've known i've known about byron since 2006 like when i was on the barbecue forum and i would see him there and uh, read what he was saying but i'd never talked to him so it was great i had done a bunch of research on him prior to, to coming on so i had learned and then he shared the link on his uh, autobiography kind of documentary that's on youtube as well and it was nice to get a full picture to be able to help me interview him but man he was just as salt a guy has sold 50 million dollars worth of rub in his career over 24 <laughs> years and you know he might as well live right next to me just the salt of the earth very honest uh, his candor was incredible and it was a great interview somebody who knows him very well like you do uh, i'm sure it's no surprise 
Yeah, that's Byron for sure. Uh, he just he doesn't love the limelight. He's done it, you know. Uh, we did some of the TV shoes with us in the early days because he understands the value of it. But he'd rather just be sitting at home drinking a beer, petting his dog, and and not deal with all of this you know he does i've always felt with byron he does the bare minimum that he has to and he does a good job of it when he does but um he he really has played by his own rules for a long time so when when we were talking about byron in the hall of fame committee i'm on the nominating committee i i believe i said something to the effect of this may be the most qualified candidate that we've ever had on in front of us because byron has is you know he he is a com- absolutely a student and a a a complete respect to the old school barbecue if you go to his house in tennessee he's got like a pit like they have at kreitz market built in and he's got another one like at tennessee and he's got he's got the original pit yeah. when i met him in 2004 or whatever it was he's got it sitting there in in mulberry i mean he's he's definitely a student of the whole what real barbecue is he had a a, a stellar competition career none better and he built this product so this is a guy that trademarked butt rub before anybody kind of really knew what that meant right i mean now you would never be able to trademark that because butts and rub are commonplace in our in our (laughs) well you know that butts were always a thing but um but you know what i mean it was this was this was way ahead of his time kind of stuff he was the first guy to change his team name to buttrub.com because he's saw what was happening with the internet i mean he's he he, he's smart smart man has done so much in the world uh and to this day i saw him at jack daniels and he had a dog that he had gotten from the pound and he had the dog living at his house as a foster just so he could find a new owner for this dog drake was his name the dog found a new owner in germany or something and they shipped the dog with some people that were over at the jack from it was i don't know if it's germany but whatever the story is not hard to find and the dog moved to germany that because byron just rented you know got him and fostered out for the weekend i mean he's a a good good man do you think if i'm not looking to try and circle around to give you a pat on the back here but do you think if you're not on the names committee that his name is left off for a good while or perhaps it's just not ever mentioned as a name that should be considered not byron i don't think so i I think now this will lead me right into sweet baby ray these guys have both done so much and it's so high profile uh that i don't think so i I, it's an interesting question because i do uh, it's really the committee is really great i really enjoy it uh because i was just looking at the list before we came on and flora Payne is not somebody i know i don't i don't know her i know her story i know where a restaurant is i just i've never met her i've never been there but there's guys on the committee that are big fans because they're more historian columbus hill one of our uh, uh legacy inductees this year i'm not familiar with him <laughs> contrary to he was from the 1900s yep. contrary to popular belief i hadn't started quite then yet <laughs> um but you know but there's guys on the committee that are big fans and know the whole story as soon as you bring it up it, so I, I, there are guys that I go to bat for, certainly. Darren, you know, and Darren Worth might be more the guy that might have been overlooked because he's so much of a, a competition cook. I mean, he runs a big, busy restaurant, too. I, I can tell you that it, one of the things we often bring up in the committee is okay, he's really good at that. What else did he do? 
And, and, you know, cause O'Darren has had a, you know, probably the best competition career before it's over. He's going to be the man. He already is. And, but he also has a big, busy restaurant that they built from the ground up there in Iowa and, and products business and all that as well. Um, so Darren is the kind of guy to, in my mind anyway, that might be overlooked. Byron, I don't know, man. I think, I think he's way more famous than we realize. <laughs> Could I make an argument if we're talking about those three in a vacuum, uh, that being Darren, Byron, and uh, Dave Raymond? Could I say that Dave is the least of the three qualified? Uh, sauce makes the business, but uh, I mean, I don't know him to be uh, a, a great barbecue competitor. I'm sure he's uh, philanthropic to agree, but I don't know uh, anything about that. And I don't know uh, anything outside of him uh, coming to the sauce business and then exploding it and being... I mean, I would love to have just that and have that be my mark, of course. But if we're talking about a whole scope of other things, uh, Darren has done all the things you had mentioned, plus very philanthropic as well. And, um, you know, Byron might be the most well-rounded of the three, too, because... As I was talking to him in the interview, I said, geez, you're probably one of the few that found a, a rub. You realized you needed to go to market. You found out about the competition circuit, and you started showing up there and selling it. And then you said, geez, maybe I should learn how to cook competition, too. And that might give me a little bit more legitimacy. So he picked it up and became a dominant force. You said, I think he won 40 grand championships or something like that over the course of his competition career amongst uh, numerous reserves and category wins, what have you. So to me, that was you know incredibly impressive. So is that out of school for me to to say? If we're looking at those three, the Dave is probably a little bit more pigeonholed into the one thing. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, it's, however, you know. Dave's done other things. They do have a restaurant. They have a big catering business. He has mentored his nephew into uh, being really a, a killer. He's run a great catering business and restaurant. Uh, he's given a lot of money away to good folks. And Dave really like spearheaded the Illinois Barbecue Association or whatever the formal name is. And what he would do was get all the local barbecue people, Barry Sorkin and Leanne when she was there and and Gary Wiviet and, and uh, Dave himself and, and get them together on a regular basis and uh it really just to get to know each other and and share a common cause and raise a little money for a charity so he he's done more than you but i mean yeah i i'd agree with you i think though no matter who you are trying to look for this multifaceted thing (laughs) when it's sweet baby ray you it kind of dwarfs everything of course now there's another side to that story um the sauce was actually, and I don't know, I don't know if you've had Dave on, but the sauce was actually created by his brother Larry. Yeah. Larry was a chef, and uh, they went and did that together. And I don't know, I think they remained partners in the business till they. So all this stuff that Dave did that I just talked about that wasn't being Sweet Baby Ray's, he did after he sold the company because he was busy running a company back then, and then he had some time and some money to play around and and explore some of the other stuff in barbecue. But Dave, someone asked me, like, well, shouldn't Larry be the guy and or the combination or something? And I can tell you from personal knowledge, Dave was nominated by Deuce, who's his nephew. Larry's son, you know what I'm saying? Larry's son nominated Dave to be the guy because he is the face of Sweet Baby Ray's. Ray Lampy joining us here on the show, drbbq.com, his website. 
let's switch it up here a little bit. We'll stay on the product side here. As somebody who has been in it, uh, this barbecue game, as long as you have, Ray, you've had products here and there, but nothing that has you know stuck in the long term. Your name, your face, uh, your brand has been around, but the product's not so much. And recently, you released four new rubs into the market. You have a Chicago steak and chop rub. You have a garlic and herb Italian beef rub. Chicago call out, of course. Uh, peach, peach, <laughs> peachopotle rub and the Nashville hot chicken rub. <laughs> Why now? Why are you bringing rubs out now? So I, I did. I, I was one of the original guys selling rub in the 90s, the early 90s. My bone smokers rub that people still always ask about. But I've been real open about that. It was a private label product. I knew I wanted to sell something because, you know, we just saw what was going on and maybe there would be something to sell. And I used this rub and it was from a butcher shop locally. Well, it turned out it was made by a company called FW Wit, which was later bought by Newlywed Foods. And this was their... <laughs> 1862 or something product so i went there to the talk to the guy to about making a rub and he said you can do that but i've got all these rubs here that we already make that are proven good quality stuff and you can just put your label on it and you can buy it 10 cases at a time and so all i had to do was buy some labels and i bought litter and i believe it was 18 bucks a case so for 180 bucks and some labels i was in the business yeah so i did that now the problem was as it grew it really became popular i shipped i can't tell you how much of it we shipped to the to the netherlands for some god unknown reason those guys still till recently were calling me about it was it available again but it was loaded with msg and i didn't have the recipe so the MSG, you know, I'm not too bothered by that. There's a lot of barbecue products these days that still have a lot of MSG in them. I wasn't too worried about that, but I really didn't have the recipe. And a couple of times I tried to match it with other packers. They couldn't do it. So I let that one go a long time ago, and, and it was a mistake that I stuck the way I started it. And then I had my original barbecue sauce and some other products. And I had a partner at the time and she kind of melted down in the way she was doing her business. And it just didn't work for me anymore. So and I didn't want to do it myself. So I let it go that time. And then some of these products, the Nashville chicken rub, I made about five, six years ago and we used it at the restaurant. But when I, I guess it was longer than that because I was still working for Big Green Egg. They didn't want me to be in the food products business because they had food products and they were paying <laughs> me pretty well. And and then in the restaurant, we were using salt and pepper on almost everything. So I still couldn't do it. I mean, this is a project I've been holding off. So it's more that I had the opportunity to do it. But don't underestimate what I see what's going on out there. You know, the, the barbecue rub business has blown up into a, a significant category. And, and it's not, you know, why wouldn't you want to be part of that? So it's, it's a long story. It's a pretty complicated thing, but it's definitely a late in life project. The bone smokers rub or bone smugglers rub, whatever it was. Did you offer to buy the recipe and they were just disinterested in selling you the recipe? I never did. Uh, at the time, they were still in business. They were just kind of shelving that one product through the distributor that I was used had to go to. So they saw. I used to go get it at the factory, and then they had a a knife company in Chicago that was the distributor, uh, and I would have to go get it from them. And it, so I don't really know what happened. I never did try to track down trying to buy it. I, just, I guess I just always assumed it would be more money than I wanted to spend on it. So for these rubs, who are you 
contacting or uh, do you already have a relationship with a co-packer that you can just turn to and say, I'm ready to turn the switch on. I already have recipes and this and that. Let's start making samples. Yeah, it was really easy. A uh, guy named Greg Watkins, uh, the Sauceology Group right here in Clearwater. I've known Greg for 20 years. Uh, he used to be a, a pretty serious competition cook and always been in the seasoning and sauce business, co-packing. Uh, and he started his own company probably 10 years ago. And he's been making my Nashville chicken rub for five, six years. Like I said, that we did use at the restaurant, small batches, and it was just an occasional thing. But I always stayed in touch. And I knew if I wanted to do it, I would go to Greg. One of the, you know, one of the problems with these things, if you don't find a local guy, shipping will eat you up before you get it out, you know, before you even get it to anybody. So having a local guy is really good. And then uh, Nicole from Whiskey Bent, I, I ran into her and they're all friends and they're actually moving in together into a building, the two businesses, and they're all friends of mine. And I didn't really want to handle the product myself. So she said, well, I'll, I'll be your distributor. So it was a perfect, easy deal for me. Um, and here's what I'll tell you to do. And I, I did this with Greg. Just because you've made this secret rub and you've got the perfect recipe at home, it's going to be different when they convert it to a 500 pound batch uh the the cayenne that they have might not be the same honey powder might be way too expensive and so on you got to let the guy do his job you know here's my original recipe this is what i wanted to do but you tell me what it should really the what it should really be so unfortunately you you know you kind of don't really own your, your formula but you end up with a good product that way um it's always a problem if you try to switch co-packers but uh, if you try to fight the guy you know these guys know what they're doing they 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 can tell you almost exactly what percentage of salt pretty much any barbecue rub should be can you i can't you know and he knew immediately what the right amount of rub or salt was it seems to be the eternal question or, or back and forth when I'm talking to folks like you that are getting into this business where you have a recipe. As you said, you haven't scaled it up to 500 or half a ton or whatever. And the bigger or more important thing that you said was the cayenne that you're using from mom and Joe's pop store is different than what they're going to be using. So there could be five, six, seven different same items, different manufacturers, different tastes, so it's off. When do you decide you aren't going to stand your ground because it doesn't taste like what you want it to taste like? Do you have to make a sacrifice in the end that it's just close enough? And are you okay with that? Uh, it's for me it's not about i'm i go in with flexibility in mind because i know how these things go and that i can only do so much to make it perfect to what i want um but i also again have to be respectful to this is the guy that makes everybody else's rubs or a lot of other rubs so he's very you know he knows way more about it than you do so you got to go in flexible my attitude always is we're gonna we need to end up with something that's really good so whether it's exactly what i had in mind or exactly what i made at my house or exactly what i started out visualizing as long as we end up with something that was really good and we're all happy with it i'm okay with that now the trick for me there because you when before you start marketing it you can change it however you want once it hits the market now you can't change it mm -hmm. so 
I'm I'm very flexible until we put it in the jar the first time, and then it's got to stay exactly the same. So if the second batch is not like the first, that's a big problem, and I'm gonna you know we're gonna have to fix that. Um, but in general, you know these guys, that's what they do. They're good at it. What are you hoping for in the next two to five years as far as success of it? You know, I haven't really, I'm not a business plan kind of guy. (laughs) Might have served me better in my life if I was, but uh, I, my my goal was to get it profitable right away. So uh, it's profitable already. Now I can't, you know, I'm not quitting my other jobs, but it, but it's already in the good and let it fund itself. And, and if something big should pop up, I'll put some money into it. So that was my attitude from there. Let, let's just let it kind of now it's now it's on its own. It's it's going to live. It's got its own little bank account. And let's see what happens. Uh, you know, my ultimate goal, it's, it's a different position. I just I'll be, just turned 66. So. It's a different position. If in three years this can be, oh, I don't know, whatever, what you know, what's the number, five thousand a month? I mean, I don't know if that's possible, but uh, something like that. I could quit doing everything else and just retire. So I, that's how I'm looking at it. For me, from a that sort of business, you know, if I could get it to be enough with everything else I got going on, but that I could quit all my other jobs and just kind of be a retired guy, that'd be pretty nice. Um, you know, unfortunately, I don't. I haven't had like a nice career with a big four hundred one k, and so retirement is kind of looks the same as the rest of my life. So, but that's okay. I'm. I'm. What, what else would I do? Do you think you would add more products onto this, or is it going to be this four and we'll steamroll ahead? No, I'll add more. I'm really looking at the market and seeing what people are doing, and four is really minimal compared to what most of the successful guys seem to be doing. Uh, I tend to think a lot of it is too many because uh, at some point it's got to cannibalize itself. Yeah, and, sure. You know, a guy's coming in and he may want to buy three bottles of rub today, but he's not going to buy eight. So he's going to buy three. I mean, at some point, I think these become almost vanity projects, uh, you know, that you just, you, you want to do some more product. That's the fun part, you know, the product development. Uh, but I suspect I'll do a couple more over the next year. Maybe I don't have any great interest in barbecue sauce. Um, it's just so much more of a challenge. And I think that's why we're seeing, uh, trust me, the product guys are happy that, that we can do less sauce it used to be you had to start with sauce and then add some rubs and it's just not like that anymore sauce is heavier it freezes it breaks it spoils uh rubs are pretty and and rubs are also a lot easier to get done in small batches Ray, can i hold you off here just for a moment while i do a quick piece of business we'll come back and pick up the conversation yep all right stand by we're talking with dr barbecue ray lampy and you had questions about getting into the rub business i'm sure you just answered a whole bunch of questions for you so always appreciate the insight on that part of the business being a new primo grill owner as i am yes i can tell you that everything i've been talking about are things that i've liked over the last two or three cooks that i have fired this primo up on what do we love about the ceramic cooker, well, one, they're fuel efficient. As someone who has had first-hand experience as lately as overnight last night where I fired it up for a two-pork-foot cook for the cannibalization earlier this afternoon over at Andy Desmond's house. Locked it in. 
ran at 250 for I put them on at 10 o'clock at night. I think oh, I should have put them on later, but I was anxious. So I put them on at 10, checked it at 6 a.m. The thing was still purring. It didn't knock a titch. And then I foiled them up, finished them off. They were uh, yeah, 180. Wanted to steam them up a little bit, make them real nice and tender, capture all the juice so I cooked in pans. And by 11 o'clock, they were ready to roll and had hardly used half of the charcoal load that I had. So proof is in the pudding. Fuel misers is what I typically call them. And then just for fun, I spooled open the top vent, kicked open the bottom vent, and watched that thing started to rifle up. And as soon as that thing gets momentum, that thing was over 500 degrees inside of 25 or 30 minutes. So going from a you know 2.50 start time, so or start temp. So it's doing it. It's doing the low and slow. It's doing the high heat. And then, of course, you have that oval design, which makes it different than everything else. All the other ceramic cookers out there on the market round, which is not great for a two-zone fire because it's round. But the oval design has a nice little divider in the middle, so you can make a two-zone fire if that's what you like. And they have the accessories, of course. The Primo Grill Rotisserie, the Primo Grill Pizza Accessory, both I have those. I'll be trying those here shortly. And they have all sorts of accessories that are being released at breakneck speed right now. Only sold through dealers, primogrill.com. Find a dealer near you. Find the oval that best fits your needs. And then you're off and running. Primogrill.com. Follow them on Facebook. Follow them on Instagram. That's primogrill.com. Nick Bauer and the gang over there. And we thank them for sponsoring the show. We're back with Dr. Barbecue right after this. Stick around. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. Stern, Jim Rome, Dan Patrick, and Greg Rempe. The Mountain Rushmore of talk show entertainment. Now, let's get back to the Barbecue Central Show. Hey, we welcome you back. By the way, if you're just coming in through YouTube right now, don't forget to answer the YouTube poll question of the week. 20 years from now, lab-grown meat will be how the majority of meat is produced in the world. And currently, 85% of you now are saying no. You don't believe that will be the thing 20 years from now, but we'll see about that. And we're joined by Ray Lampy once again here. Ray, appreciate you hanging with me through the break. So... I was talking about Primo Grill there in the read. That's part of the category that is ceramic cookers. I would dare say that few know ceramic cooker industry, such as you having that long relationship that you had with uh, Big Green Egg for you know 20 plus years or whatever it was, longer than 95% of actual marriages that even take place. So my question is this, for as great as they are, and uh, being a new owner of ceramic cookers, once again, I had uh, a a kind of ceramic cooker many years ago, the Bubba Keg, uh, which is uh, ceramic cooker concepts and lighting and all that stuff, uh, but now a Primo owner. The one thing that I have to say is where you look across all of the other sectors in this live fire industry, pellet cookers, gas grills, uh, offsets, the ceramic cooker industry as a whole, or the sector as a whole, seems to be a little stale. And I'm wondering... What can be done by the big three or the big four 
to unstale it or make it more sexy or have the millennial generation or the younger generation than that. Who's that generation Z? I don't know. And say, hey, uh, the all this other stuff is cool, but man, the, these ceramic cookers, regardless of brand, is where it's at. What do they need to do? Well, you know, I think it's just the nature of business. To me, the, the growth was just insane for all those years. The All the, the next ones came along. While I, I mean, I started working for Big Green Egg. They were in a strip mall. There was six employees. Um, so I saw what happened, and I'd like, like to take a little credit for it. We, it, it can only go on like that for so long. You can't, you know what I mean? The growth at some point has to level out. Uh, and then you, it's your job to try to figure out how to get incremental growth that works. You know, look at like the Weber Kettle. I, I'm sure they still have growth most years, but not like they did 30 years ago when it was all of a sudden becoming all the rage. And that's sort of what I think of the ceramic cookers. And, you know, we've also watered it down. It was very much... Uh, uh, Big Green Egg, and then even the guys that came along right away, uh, um, Primo for sure, and uh, the, the big uh, who was the guy that thing. It was all it was premium, high end stuff. We weren't trying to make it viable for the big box stores and trying to knock the price down. We were trying to br- jock, knock the price up because it was this premium product. Well, once there's enough of them on the market, it's going to have some pressure on the price, and and it's going to send it back a little bit. So I think that th- I don't think that has helped. Um, I, I think you know they just got to look to get find what is reasonable growth and try to continue that the big you know the big boom days are over do you think at all that the lack of interest that technology has generated to the everyday ham and eggers need of using or learning how to build the fire from scratch and then keeping it has also contributed to the lack of interest in general into that sector well, let's just say it, you know, have pellet c- cookers replaced it because of the simplicity. All right, let's say and that. The, the, <laughs> the technology friendly. Uh, well, at the moment, they have for sure. Uh, you know, it, it, it's I, I you might have seen me playing with that pro Q smoker the other day. Ian's an old friend of mine and and they're they're getting ready to sell a little bit, sell more of them in the u.s and so he sent me one to play with and post some stuff and i smelled like smoke i got all dirty it was kind of fun yeah. you know it was a little different than what we do most days uh obviously i'm not the best guy to answer this though because i told fred shotgun fred that the barbecue guru was a really bad idea and nobody <laughs> would buy that kind of technology Oops. i really did we <laughs> We used to laugh about it. I still do when I see Bob because I, I was like, nobody's going to buy that, Fred. You know, obviously I was wrong. Uh, I, I give enough. I, 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 you know, the bad part about not working for a grill company at the moment for me is they just keep accumulating in my backyard. Mm-hmm. I have one of those Loco kettles. So Loco has built a kettle with a barbecue guru or whatever you want to call it, a temperature control device integrated into the thing. All you do is plug it in and it's got a little dashboard and, it, and you run it just like kind of like you do a pellet cooker um it's really interesting to see the popularity of that i'm not a huge fan of it uh i don't know like you said i like to get a little dirty and touch the fire and see what's going on with it but clearly we're in the minority because this stuff is selling like crazy and it probably has hurt the kamados you know uh they they don't necessarily line up with that i think they're doing fine i think it's just watered down a little bit and you know it's it's the pellet grills moment man 
You know, those guys mm-hmm. worked hard for a lot of years. Fast Eddie, this is his life's work coming to fruition. You know, uh, the, the pellet cookers were around for a long time before people figured out what they were. And, you know, but I think their day will pass, too. And then th- the next thing will come along. What's going on with Firemasters and this TV show? Well, we're we we're not shooting this year. We the big shows like that. So it's been on five, six years, something like probably longer than that. It doesn't seem like it, but so when we go there to shoot, we shoot three seasons, thirty episodes, forty episodes. That's how they all do it now. Chop shoots for months, and then they don't shoot for a few years. So we had. I guess we've done six or seven seasons now, but we're not shooting this year. But it's still on in Canada, primetime Food Network. It's a big deal up there. And the Cooking Channel is running it right now. I was watching one the other day, but they just don't tell us because it's like the secondary market. And they might be first-run shows, first-run in the U.S. for sure, but they just don't treat it like one of their shows. So it's kind of weird. I never know when I'm going to be on unless somebody calls me or I happen to run across it. But it's still a big deal, you know? I mean, it seems like they would want to tell you because they would leverage whatever social media you have to drive some traffic over there and put eyeballs on it. You would think that. uh, And Canada does. The PR company in Canada, unfortunately, we can't watch Food Network Canada here, even online. So it's pointless for me. I mean, I post stuff for my Canadian friends to see it. But it's, you know, for me, it's not that impactful as it would be if it was actually airing here. It's a weird thing. I I don't understand why they do it that way. It's kind of frustrating, frankly. Um, But it's, you know, it's interesting to see. I, I told you this on the side the other day. I'm being, I ran into a couple of things recently where I'm not that big of a deal. And, and because I, I guess, because I don't have a big social media following, I'm actually on a Food Network show right now. I'm on a bunch of old ones that they air all the time. And somehow that doesn't have the impact of 100,000 YouTube followers. To that point, you know, you, you made a, a post on your, for anybody that follows you that basically came out and said, hey, um, if you know anybody that's hiring, you know, a, a very quick thumbnail sketch of the resume, thinking you can bring value to some companies that might be looking for your skill set outside of, you know, whatever the, the soup du jour is of social media today, like you were talking about. First of all, is that a hard post for you to make? I mean, that, that takes a lot of <laughs> yeah, sucking it, it up and putting it out there, right? Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, it's humbling to, to you know, it's the way I've led my life. I've always, you know, find that next thing. But it's it's been a weird six months of normally I can find stuff to click. The same things I've always done are all of a sudden not working. And, and yeah, it was very humbling to do that. No question about it. I, I don't like to, you know, admit that. And I'm okay. Don't misunderstand. I'm okay. I'm just frustrated and I'm, I, I like to work. I, you know, I like to work and I like to make money and I'm not doing either of those things right now. And that doesn't make me happy. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I did that. And, and by the way, thank you to everyone who did respond. It was amazing. The, amount of people that said hey i just didn't know let's talk is it hard to make because you're worried about what other folks your friends or other peers in the industry are going to think when you make that post or is it just hard to make because you've had you haven't had to cast lines in the water per se i mean certainly you're always hustling as you said you don't have the 401k it's not the traditional nine to five so somebody in your position an entrepreneur has to be hustling all the time in order to keep things going um was it harder because that's now part of the hustle 
Um, yeah, well, yeah, it is. I, I don't, I don't think like, you know, the first part you said, uh, will other people in the industry look at that and, and think something different of me? I don't care about that. That's, uh, that's how, not how I live my life. I don't worry about other people. Um, but it, but yeah, it, I mean, is it, is it a little tough on your ego to, to have to go to Facebook and say, Hey, by the way, <laughs> here I am, you know, remember me? I, I, I could use some, uh, some work. It's, it's, yeah, it's hard to do, you know? Um, on many levels. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's okay. Again, that's what entrepreneurs do. You make it up as you go along. And, and I felt that that was the right time and the right place to do that. And, and I, you know, I got, like I said, I got some good reactions. So I think that I'm, I'm proud that I did it because sometimes you got to suck it up. What do you think the most under or non-well-known grill manufacturer is out there in the industry today? Somebody that's got great product that maybe is under the radar. Uh, I boy, I sure see a lot of them lately. It's really interesting. Back in the day, we you know with Big Green Egg, we weren't a household name, and when we went to the trade shows, we were those guys over there with that weird little green grill. And so the dealers we were looking for were mom and pop dealers that didn't want to sell Weber, didn't want to sell, I don't know what the the big box names were at the time, but that's not what they wanted. Uh, they wanted something different. They wanted something you could only get there. And it's changed so much. Every every mom and pop store you go to now sells Traeger. Most of them sell Weber. They all sell Big Green Egg, even though Big Green Egg now is available at Ace, and they all they complain about it, but they still sell them. So we don't. It, it's really hard on these startups like that. Guy might have a cool idea. I remember Bobby the Kamado Joe the first time he showed up at a trade show. He had a ten by ten booth and like one unit, and uh, there he was. He was going to be the Big Green Egg knockoff, you know. And it worked out pretty well for him, but it, it took him to build. He needed to be the other version of the, of that, uh, and and so I just don't see a lot of that anymore. The the one grill that's interesting to me that I I think is underloved and and I think should uh, should have more life is the the Weber Kamado or whatever you want, whatever they call it, the charcoal, the charcoal summit, summit Kamado. That, that thing's really nice. Do yep. you have one of those? If you're I don't, one of those? but uh, I've heard great it's, reviews. It's really nice, and it—I don't know—maybe it's just uh, the profit's not there on that for them or something, because they've really kind of ignored it, which is interesting to me, because it's really a nice grill. Um, it's a one unit, but like a company's, it's really hard for startup companies right now. Where's the best place to go to get the rubs if people want to try them, right? Uh, for now, drbarbecue.com, drbbq.com. We're working on getting them out there into the market, but you know, it takes a while to get it out to all them stores. It's just easier to order it online. Ray, it's been a minute. Last time we were going head-to-head on $200 pepper grinders, but we get it back into the live fire sector. <laughs> I still have mine. I still use it all <laughs> yes, the time. Same with me. So, uh, as I said, the one thing that we can guarantee, whether you think yours was better or mine was better, is that they both cost 150 or $200, and that we can agree on, no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, I've always appreciated the conversations over the years, Ray. The, uh, the insight, the candor is... Uh, unmatched and so we can wish you continued success let's do it again soon well thank you for the platform for all of us you got it there he is ray lampy coming on the fourth of july you could hear the fireworks popping off in the background a little bit there so hopefully you're not missing the finale ray as you are getting ready to 
finish out the fourth. Remember, it's not Sunday, everybody. <laughs> it's Tuesday. Work tomorrow. All right, we got to make a quick break here, so stand by. Continuing to produce incredibly mediocre content in an exceptionally professional way. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show. Once again, here's your host, Craig Rampey. And we thank Ray Lampy for joining us last segment, drbbq.com. If you want to check out what he's up to or if you want to get your hands on some of those rubs that we were talking about earlier there in the first hour or in the first segment that he was joining us drbbq.com We are just a shade over, so we'll make a quick exit out here, refresh your libations, and we'll see you back here for the second hour. You're listening and watching the Barbecue Central Show right here on the Barbecue Central Network. Stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. 